welcome to the Nib Section, the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. This is Diana Dyer, producer-in-chief. I am recording on Tuesday, the 4th of September, more than two weeks after the inaugural Sydney Pen Show. So this episode will be part recap of what went down at the Sydney Pen Show, featuring some recollections from attendees and even one vendor from the show. And the second half of the episode will be the fourth part of our collector series of interviews with Fountain Pen Collectors. And that features an interview that Sharon and I did with Ian Reid about a month ago in his Sydney home. But more on that in the second half of the episode. The first Sydney pen show, I have to say, was my first experience of a fountain pen show. So with nothing to compare it to, I can only say uh, attending as a volunteer and as someone who was part of the organising committee, I am so proud of what we accomplished, especially Sophia and Mark, whom Chuck and I interviewed in episode number 26 a couple of weeks ago. There were so many people. It was such an amazing day. Every show is different and nothing is perfect, but I think it was an amazing start a wonderful accomplishment and um, I'm just so proud of everyone that took part. Everyone who attended, everyone who helped organise, all the volunteers, the amazing volunteers that I had the pleasure of working with on the day. There was so much enthusiasm and just delight in being in the company of like-minded people and discovering that there were as many fans of fountain pens in, out there in Sydney, in Australia, that you never possibly imagined before. I'm not someone who attends fan conventions, but this is what I imagine it's a bit like. Uh, there was a representative from Pilot Japan there, and they had this amazing stand where you could test Pilot nibs and see a selection of vanishing points from decades of pilot history and some of their exclusive limited editions which are not for sale which were not for sale unfortunately purely for display I think that was the highlight of the show for many people and of course the workshops which you hear Alistair and Mel speak about a little bit later on my only regret is that I didn't get the chance to record any live reactions on the day. I did actually bring recording equipment. Um, I brought my Zoom H6 and some microphones, but just because the, the show was so busy all day long, I couldn't get any time away. We were munching on lollies to conserve our strength, and I was giving Elna my spare mandarin on the day because she, I think, was at the, the Sydney Pencho merchandise table for basically the entire day from 8am or so until 3 in the afternoon. So it was a long and really, really uh, full day for all of us. So you have to excuse me for not doing any recording on the day. Um, I think everyone on the podcast agreed that the show was our first priority, so um, our role as volunteers on the day superseded any of our work as podcasters. That said, I am very glad that I can share with you the experiences firsthand of two attendees from Melbourne, Alistair Dawes and Melanie Sanders, as well as uh, our own Max Schumacher from the podcast and also the founder, designer and maker behind Schumacher Penco. So the Sydney Pen Show has been and gone. And what did I take away from it? Well, I didn't take away any pens. I didn't actually buy any pens. I looked at some just amazing pens. I got to hold and feel just some wonderful, wonderful fountain pens that I, you know, I could never afford. But looking at them in person, so much better than looking at them online. Just so satisfying. They are so beautiful in some cases. Uh, the, the Namiki Emperor was just a work of art. I also got to try a lot of inks. Um, so, you know, this driven a few ink purchases because I got to look at them in my own notebook and see how they would perform, and uh, that was great. Uh, I also did a couple of workshops. So my urban sketching has gone from abysmal to just terrible. Um, I shouldn't say that. The, the, the sketch I did at the end of uh, Liz Steele's urban sketching workshop was actually really good, and I was really happy with it. And... Uh, and the improvement that I saw in just that one workshop was outstanding. 
and uh, Tav's nib tuning workshop as well was great. I learned a couple of tricks that I didn't know previously and and I got home and I practiced the next day and uh, yeah, I can see that, that I've improved some of my more troublesome nibs. So the workshops were excellent. But really the best thing for me, the best thing to come out of the pen show wasn't the pens, it was the people. And it's the uh, organising group who just were so fantastic the 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 volunteers and the organizers were amazing and the melbourne pen posse who came up i was i was really happy with how many people from melbourne made the trip up to sydney and that was great i don't get to see them often enough in melbourne so it was wonderful to see them in sydney but all of the sydney siders were just so welcoming and so friendly and the fact that i knew so many people from online and you know in some cases i had no idea what they looked like so you're suddenly putting faces to names and to avatars and to conversations that you've had with people and then now you've got this human connection that goes along with the shared interest of fountain pens so i think feeling part of the community uh, seeing so many people there i was just blown away with how many people turned up so many people all with this shared passion around stationery and fountain pens you're no longer the lone weirdo at the office with the fancy pens um you're part of a a real thriving living community and that was just amazing so congratulations to the organizing committee for the sydney pen show it was it was a brilliant success from where i stand and i really look forward to going again next year Oh, hey, you guys. It's Mel Sanders here. I wanted to check in and give you a quick rundown of my Sydney pen show experience. Some of you may have picked up one of the purple and black pen hoodies as merch. Actually, I think many of you did, and that makes me incredibly happy. I thought I'd give you a super quick overview of the process. Uh, The process started with a post in the Sydney Pen Show Facebook group on um, what merch people wanted to see. Um, I posted a photo of my prototype and Mark and Diana seemed keen, but they were also keen to hear others' thoughts. The hoodie concept was born from that photo, um, minus the animal ears, Diana, or his drawstring. Thank you, Mark. I had sketched out a pattern and put it through several drafts. I work from home, so the temptation of my sewing machine um, got too much sometimes and I just worked it out until I got it right. I took the pen sleeves to my first Melbourne pen meet. Everyone was complimentary and I would expect nothing else to my face. I sent the prototypes off to Mark and Sophia and we decided on a meagre amount of 100. From then on, my procrastination kicked into top gear, uh, but happily by the time the pen show rolled around, all 100 pen hoodies, patent pending, were available for sale. And you guys, I cannot tell you how happy it makes me to see photos of your pens in the hoodies and photos of the hoodies in your halls, which kind of leads me into the amazing show of community I was enveloped into at the Sydney Pen Show. Alistair and I rocked up to the Australian Maritime Museum in Sydney, all the way from beautiful sunny Melbourne. We walked into a function room full of people and the people did not stop all day. I could not even get to the front of the throng of people in front of James Finesse's pensive pens. It wasn't until the end of the day that I could get a decent look at the Dimmick's stationary table. Max Schumacher was grinding his little fingers off the entire day. I participated in a wonderful Liz Steele workshop in the beautiful Sydney sunshine. Reflecting back on the day, I wish I had joined Tab's nib tuning workshop as well. Overall, I had a fantastic time at the first Sydney Pen Show. It was a privilege and a pleasure to be a part of the whole day. Mark and Sophia made each interaction friendly and personable, and it was reflected in the entire day. Well done, guys. Bring on 2019. Hello, I'm uh, Max Shoemaker of Shoemaker Pen Company and this very podcast, uh, the Sydney Pen Show 2018, was my first pen show as a uh, just in general, and my first pen show with the 
sort of kind of existent shoemaker pen company. On the day, I was mostly doing nib grinding, um, selling a few of my restored vintage pens and uh, selling a few of my turned custom pens. This is the first time I've ever run a store like this and this was the first time I'd managed to get the Shoemaker Pen Company brand out to more than just a select group of uh, friends who'd come up to Newcastle or, or when I was at Sydney Meets. On the day I did the majority of my sales in the nib work but I also sold a variety of my vintage pens and a few of the pens that I'd turned. I think that uh, the Sydney Pen Show was the right show to launch the company um, as a sort of official entity. There was enough interest in my Brankston model, um, but I think the price may have been a bit high for the work that I'd put in. Um, I had a monopoly on nib work on the day, which was nice, but I was uh, flat out all day with that. I was um, The only thing I was really disappointed in um, in the show as a whole was the lack of any other vintage vendors on the day. I would have liked to have seen some other vintage vendors there on the day. I didn't get to see much of the show as I was uh, flat out working my table for the majority of the day, rather. But uh, I did enjoy it very much. The rest of this episode is part four of our collector series, which is a series of interviews with fountain pen collectors, exploring their different histories, their various approaches to collecting. Sharon and I spoke to Ian Reid, a fountain pen collector based in Sydney. Ian is one of the most eclectic and passionate fountain pen collectors I've had the pleasure of meeting. He's literally been collecting for as long as, well, actually longer than I've been alive. And when the Collector series of interviews got started, Ian was someone that Sharon and I both knew we just had to include. We recorded in his study, which is a cave of treasures with pens on every flat surface and spilling out of every mug and pen holder. Ian was generous enough to allow us permission to photograph some of his pens, so make sure that you check out the show notes for this episode, where you'll find links to photos of pens that we discuss. Sharon and I had an absolute whale of a time talking to Ian about his collection and hearing all of his stories from over 30 years of collecting. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation with Ian Reid. So this is our collector series and um, as part of our collector series we mainly want to uh, get to know a couple of the more prolific collectors I guess um, who have interesting backstories, interesting collections and just get inside the mind of what it's like to be Ian in the fountain pen world. Well, it's pretty empty, mate. <laughs> we so, can see what happens. Let's start off with um, what are we writing with? What are you currently writing with? Ah, uh, good question. Looking at your desk here, there's a lot of choice. Well, over the past month, there have been two meets that I've attended and I've bought different sets of pens for each one. Mm-hmm. And frankly, cleaning them and putting them away is just become too much of a hardship. So a lot of these are still filled from this second last meet mm-hmm. and some from the last meet. And the problem is, because I, I prefer to use cartridges where possible. So I fill them up with a new cartridge. Mm-hmm. Somebody writes with it for two minutes at the meet. I'm left with a pen with a full cartridge. <laughs> and being Scottish and mean as can be, <laughs> I don't like to throw away the nearly full cartridges. So what I do is I unplug them, wash the pen, wash it out, put it away, but I keep the cartridge. So what do you do with the cartridge? Mm. You have to get another pen, plug it in. So <laughs> these are all kind of plugged in with... I've, I've seen a cartridges. hack. You can just put a blob of blue tack, I think, over the, the rim. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably works. I haven't tried but it myself. again, it comes back to the atmospherics. I find living in Sydney is quite different to living in Asia because of the look at the humidity today, it's about 25% and it dries things up very quickly. So if those cartridges were taken out yesterday out of the particular pens, they'll go back in again but the ink will be thicker than they were before. So what I usually do is just dip them in water for a second or two. Of course they end up being, when you start using them, they're thin but it only takes a few seconds to tidy them up. So looking at this desk, what can I see? I can see a Sailor Pro Gear in a yellow that you stole off me. Sure, I did, yeah. <laughs> at, um, I was just, that movie. was just pure badness on my part. That I was? didn't particularly want it. I just, <laughs> you heard that Jonathan I wanted it. told me you wanted it and I said, well, if she didn't make up her mind, I'll make up her mind for it. <laughs> it is now a go-to. I never, I never take it away. It's always on my desk. I love using it. There's also a Visconti Mazzi Dragon. So that yes. one there, that's a lighter, uh, I think it's a... That one? Yeah. It's, it's the Dragon. Yeah, yes, it's the Dragon. Mazzo Dragon. 
Matt T. Dragon. And that's a Voyager? That's the Voyager prototype. Oh, oh it's got a vacuum. It's the, and the, that's the 18 karat gold. The whole fittings are 18 yep. karat gold. And that was one of the very early ones, a limited edition to other 30 pieces. Yeah, because the later Voyagers were cartridge, mm. inverter filled, I mm. think. But this has got the really nice, clear, um, swirly, swirl acrylic. acrylic. Yeah, the ribbons. Mm. Um, I can also, I spy a Bordeaux Mozart. Yeah, um, I've just had that re fixed up. To add to, I've got two of them, and both of them were needing fixed. Um, so I sent them back to Mont Blanc, and they were 150 bucks a piece to be repaired. I also spy with my little eye a Waterman Serenity original version, the black one in the yes. blue mug. Yes, yes. I've got a matching rollerball for it. I've also, that, that's one of my really sad stories, I mean sad for me, not for yeah. them, just a story, but I bought a very good limited edition one in Coco Bolo wood. Yes. I think you might have seen I've it. I've seen it, yes. But it comes with a plastic connector mm -hmm. to hold the cap on, and the plastic connector broke. I sent it back to Waterman here in Melbourne. They sent it back to Paris, Paris sent it back and said, sorry we can't fix it, we don't have any spare parts. I think they're just being lazy about it. It has a worldwide guarantee. And so they said, we'll get you one. We, we give you the best pen we've got to, to make it up. Yeah. And it's one of those sort of square ones. I mean, I, I don't know even what Exception. it's called. Exception. Exception. And, and it writes beautifully. I mean, Wasserman pens write beautifully. I pulled two out simply because they fit the European yeah. standard. I haven't used them for years. And they're writing lovely. But the Serenity probably cost me about a thousand US dollars. The Coco Bowl wood yeah. one. And it's on it's on eBay at like four and a half thousand US dollars. Mm, yeah. And this one is the exception to that the exception. four hundred. It's about four or five hundred yeah, Australian. So, you know, I'm seriously out of mm. pocket of that score. Since theoretically and we'll come to that no doubt at some point, but theoretically I developed this as a sort of retirement superannuation fund that I was gonna <laughs> have, have. I just bought and bought and bought and bought with a view to when I retired. Just selling them one by one. Well, I've been retired for three years now, and I've only sold two and went to Sharon. So, but it's not like you're not trying because no, every not. time we we mention the Dupont and Lucia, <laughs> you say make me make me an offer. Make me an offer. Yeah, I know that. But two people have been. No, two people have shown serious interest. Mm -hmm. And Are they the two people in the room? No, they're not the two people <laughs> in the room. They, were, they ended up as being, oh, I'll get back to you, and never did. But no, I'm not trying. I mean, when I come to the fountain pen mm. meets, I'm not coming to sell pens. I mean, look, I, I used to work for a company called CKI, which is quite well known in the business world in, this, in Australia. And the mantra there, there's really only one rule. I mean, apart from meeting all the usual company regulations, there, they had a simple mantra. Everything is for sale at the right <laughs> price, and it doesn't matter whether it's all of the pipelines in Australia or all the gas gas works in South Australia or Western Australia. I mean, the simple rule is everything's for sale. Everything's for sale if the price is right, and that's my view too. I mean, if any, I've sold maybe six pens in the last thirty years. Oh no, that's not true. I did sell thirty pens at one time yeah. to one collector for a hundred thousand US dollars, and that was the price was right. So I. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably, it's probably worth a lot more now, actually. Mont Blanc, not the right, well, some of the writers' editions, sex, but mainly, what's the other ones? The uh, Patron, Patron of the, Patron Arts. Of the Arts. Well, going right back to the very first one in 1992, right through every year until they brought out two one year, and I said, that's enough. They were just getting greedy. There were two of the same pens with just a different sort of plastic base colour. One was the Peter the Great, and the other one was Catherine the Great, and I thought, no, this is just a really <laughs> Well, this is a set, yeah, a matched pair. So, evidently you've been collecting for a while now. Um, how long and how did you get started? I would date my collecting to 1985 when I bought a Burgundy 144, and I'd just gone to Hong Kong to live again, because I lived there in the early 70s, and then I went back in 85. And that was my first pen I bought. And then later in that year, I bought a couple of S2 Dupont's, Montparnasse, uh, fountain pen and rollerball. 
But it was in Hong Kong that you got started. It was in Hong Kong. Was it because... What was it about Hong Kong? Well, no, Hong Kong, most places, we, when, when they have bricks and mortar stores, and they used to, before the net, there was nothing but bricks and mortar stores, you really had to fight in most parts of the world to, to, to get any kind of a discount at all on anything, not just pens, or even, I have ever tried to buy any, but everything was list price, so you went in, there's the price, and oh, you know, two mm -hmm. times. So when you go to Hong Kong, the first thing they do is offer you 20% off the <laughs> list price, and if you push hard, 30, 35% off. My best deal was 48% off a pen, a, a, a big, major collectible pen was 48% discount on, on the list price. And there's a feeling of satisfaction that you're, that, that you're actually buying something at more to do with the right. I mean, I'd like to sort of talk about that a little, whether now or later is up to you guys, but, you know, the way pens are a total rip-off if you <laughs> pay this price. I mean, you have no hope of, you're just pouring money away. But I can tell you for a fact, because you were going to ask me about the, um, the Grail pen. Well, mm -hmm. my Grail pen is, a, is, is something called a Unterwasser. It's a hundred. It's a hundred piece limited edition pen. Mm -hmm. It sold. It, the list price was around forty thousand Australian dollars. Mm -hmm. About six months after they came out, one turned up at a Bonhams auction in London. They are the most beautiful pen I have ever seen. There's no doubt about that. Forty odd thousand Australian dollars list price. It sold at auction. Mm -hmm. Six months later, for about 40% of the value. Wow. Now that is a huge, and my own experience is you buy today at this price, you have to wait 10 or 15 years for it to get back to basically what you paid for it, at which point they do tend to go up in mm -hmm. value. Mm -hmm. um, if you kept them in good condition. Uh, if you keep them in good condition, mm -hmm. absolutely. But they don't have to be. I mean, this this business of keeping them wrapped up in cotton wool and never using them, again, that's, that's just a long, long, <laughs> <laughs> That's a long, long marketing initiative. This business of selling them in sealed plastic sheeting with x-rays of the pen inside <laughs> and all that sort of thing. To be honest, absolute BS. It really is. I've got pens there that are 30 odd years old that have been used on and off for 30 odd years. Piston fills, cartridge fills, bladder fills, doesn't really matter. They all work having been, okay, they might have a few scratches on them here and there, micro scratches that some, what one might call a fanatic, uh, you know, with a loop, my tool world's got a couple of scratches. Well, okay, fine. If you don't want it, don't, don't buy it. <laughs> so, by the sounds of it... But the Huntabasser is the most beautiful pen I've ever seen, but we'll they're on the internet right now on eBay at $28,000 US. Well, by the sounds of it, so your collection really started in Hong Kong when you were out getting a good deal. Is that right? And was yeah, it the thrill much. of the chase? I've always liked writing, though. Yeah. I mean, I bought my first... When I went to boarding school at 11, I had a, an uncle in Canada who sent me a set of Parker Duofold pens, a set of mm -hmm. Duofolds, a fountain pen, a ball pen, and a pencil. And I loved that dearly, but you know, as an 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kid, they disappeared. I don't know how they disappeared. Maybe stolen, maybe just left somewhere, they disappeared. Never gave it another thought until I was in my early 20s. I went to Hong Kong in 1972. And I bought myself Parker 51. It was in turquoise green with uh, gold top, fountain pen, medium nib. And I loved it dearly, really, really loved it dearly. But in 1979, I was living in Dubai. I gave it to somebody, I can't remember why, but he was going to take it back to England to do something with it. I can't remember why I gave it to him. And he never came back, so he kept my pen. So I was not very happy about it. But I found it. This is a 61, not a 51, and it was new old stock. Literally, the owner of a silverware shop in Hong Kong, his father had bought the pen. It was still sealed. It had never been used. And he sold it to me for a very, very good price. It's got ink in it if you want to write with it. It's the same colour as Diana's Jotter. Yeah, I love that colour. And it was this, well, yeah, I think I have a Jotter. <laughs> and it was the same colour as the one I had in 1972, which I lost in 79. And the only pens you could buy in those days were basically Parker's, Waterman's probably, although I never did buy any, um, Cross. 
were quite popular. And Mont Blanc were known as, well, Cross and Mont Blanc in the UK were known as jewellers' pens. They didn't sell them anywhere except jewellery stores. Oh, and Dunhill as well. Dunhill was available from oh. time to time. Uh, so I never bothered until, as I said, I bought the 144 and then I bought a couple of DuPonts. And there's a shop, very, very luxurious shop. It look, makes sort of Harrods look like Kmart <laughs> in Hong Kong called Lane Crawford. Uh, yes. Lane Crawford buys the best of everything and sells them at presumably at enormous profits. But they were having a sale of Caran d'Ache pens and they were 50% discount. And I bought about half a dozen of them. <laughs> they still cost a great deal of money, but there was a, there was a broad nib and there was a medium nib and there was a fine nib and there was a ball pen, which is connectable now to a, to a Parker gel pen. And they're not the only ones, other people do gels, but and so on. So I, so I suddenly ended up with a collection of Caran d'Ache pens made of the highest sort of quality lacquer and gold, such like. I love them dearly to this day. But they had a, one big problem that they, uh, and if anybody owns one, <laughs> yours, uh, you sold it on, I think, but the one I sold to you with a very fine nib, mm. that was not one of those, that, that was a later one. But the original ones, you'd plug them in with a cartridge and after you'd open them and the ink had come out through the nib and was flooded everywhere. And uh, a lady in the Carandash opened a shop, a retail shop in Hong Kong back in 1985, sorry, back in 2005. And she, she said, oh, I'll send them back to Switzerland. So I gave her about four fountain pens that were all leaking and she sent them back to Switzerland and came back as new, completely serviced, no chargement, not a penny charge. And uh, I'm delighted with them. Mm -hmm. the, the, those are the octagonal or yeah, hexagonal yeah. ones. Yep. They're a little bit hard to write with for very They're long. They're very, very slim. Yeah, but they, you know, with the edges on them somehow mm -hmm. or other, they, it's true. good for writing something quickly. Anyway, that was it. That was as far as it went for a while. And then in 1992, two things happened. One was that Monte Grappa, I used to buy a magazine every month. In fact, and you can put this on the podcast, if anybody's interested, I have about five or 10 years worth, which would be uh, 12 a year, Found a Pen International magazines. Oh, yes, yeah. And they've got the most fabulous adverts and photographs of pens. If anybody was interested, I'd be happy to give them away because they're down in, in a great big box down in our, my basement. Haven't been open for years. Maybe one or two in there. But, um, anyway, there was this full page advert for a Monte Grappa Dragon, mm -hmm. the original Dragon. And That's I can remember the prices it was yesterday. It was 29,000. Oh no, that was something else. It was about 29,000, 30,000 Hong Kong dollars. Okay. Um, Monte Grappa was only beginning to operate internationally then. So a yes, guy in Taiwan got the agency. So I applied to Monte Grappa and said I would like to buy this pen. And they wrote back to me saying, contact Mr. So-and-so in Taiwan. I did. He said, well, I've had three more uh, inquiries from Hong Kong. He said, I have the pen. So he said, I'll make a weekend of it and I'll fly over to Hong Kong and hand you the pens personally. And he offered me 48% discount, which I said is, they, they, they were trying, he was trying to establish a business. Mm -hmm. I've since sold the pen to a friend of mine, which I'll probably, whom I will probably mention later on. <laughs> um, I love that pen, but like a true Monte Grappa fashion, man, they, the cap flew off one day because the, uh, the thing that was holding the top of the, you know, the screw yeah. that was holding the top was rotten. I mean, it was made of the cheap. The rest of the pen was made of sterling silver. Sterling silver. The, 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 the screw that went in to hold the cap clip on it was a cheap and nasty metal, and which presumably the ink, I'm mm. guessing the ink miasma or something mm. that came out, rotted it off and it just broke. Anyway, I sent it back to Monte Grappa and they fixed it. And in the same year, Mont Blanc brought out the first limited edition patron of the arts. That was the... De Medici, what's his first name? Lorenzo, Lorenzo de, Medici. de Medici. And I bought one of those. And from then, that, you know, that was it. I've got a pile of high-end Cartiers as well. They didn't sell very well in Hong Kong. 
so you'd get 30 and 40 percent off in the secondary stores. Was that around the same time that the Pelican, the Dragons came out? Oh, the the return to uh, that would have been ninety seven. Ninety seven. Okay, a few years later. Was the re- you mean the return to Hong Kong? Um, no, the 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 gods or the the uh, I've got, I've the got Hercules. Um, is that the one the, you're thinking? The of? one that um that Aiden Aiden no, has no, no. The, series. the Asia series. Yeah, yeah. The Asia series. That, they were later actually. I'll tell you now. I mean, I know this is not a video cast. Yeah, that's the Asia series, that five. That's the first one, which is The Dragon, Mm -hmm. and that came out in 1999 or 2000, because 2000 was the year of the Golden Dragon. The Golden Dragon, which is particularly auspicious. So I'm told. The year 2000. And then the, the others followed after that. So are there any particular brands that really stood out other than? You mentioned DuPont, Montegrappa, Carandash, Carandash Mont Blanc. No, Carandash didn't stand out. Lane Crawford was about the only company that, that sold Carandash in the late 80s. I mean, I got mine on the rebound. That was their first effort to sell into the really high-end luxury store like Lane Crawford. And it was... Didn't sell enormous. well. Didn't sell well at all. They're still enormously expensive to buy by comparison to to other pens, if you know. Yeah. They're so, still enormously expensive. I've got a very nice set over there, which I brought out yesterday. It's the gold ones with the yellow, with the red markings on it. There's a pair there. The Ekai. Oh, these ones? Yeah. The lacquer? Yeah. Uh, the lacquer, that's the... Le Mans. Le Mans. Yeah. Oh, wow. I haven't that's, actually seen these ones before. Um, that, that's the, um, oh dear, some, a Moscow, famous Moscow museum, the... Tretiakov Museum. It's a lim- very limited edition. There's ink in it if you want to screw And again, I bought them in the Carndash store, but they offered a substantial discount for those, and I really like them. Your favourite pens to write with? Oh, ST Dupont. No, no, no question. ST Dupont. Well, what is it about them? They're well, just perfect for my hand, I guess. I, I love the way they operate. I've got a. I mean, I always carry with me too. One fine and one medium. I've got a broad, but I'm not quite as happy with the broad. And they're not too thin for me. I mean, I've got big, thick ones. There's a big, you, you saw it last week. What's it yeah. called again? The um, the fire. Um, it's also got Yeah, the elements. Elements, the fire. Is it there? Oh, uh, there it is. Um, yeah. It's much thicker than the standard DuPont. Do you know the mechanism? Well... It doesn't open. Oh, I remember such. that. You, you showed to, me. You have to that unclip works. this. It's like the 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 Dupont lighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I have to use my teeth to <laughs> un, unscrew it, and then the front just pops out. Oh, oh wow! There you go. It's really neat. It's never never broken. I use it quite a lot. Now you know, I've changed it a few mm-hmm. times, but it never breaks. I mean, they're beautifully made. No, I like that about the SD Dupont. They're very sturdy. Yeah. But the grip is difficult. It's got yeah. this lip on yeah. it. I've got the smaller version, the chairman, and that's possibly the opposite. It's probably <laughs> too a little smaller than I like. So, yeah, the, the standard one is... They're, they're there to the left at about 10 o'clock. Two, two DuPonts. Now, that's a catty. Those two. These two. Yeah, the blue yeah. one is the blue one is the media, is the fine, and the, the brown mortal mm-hmm. one is the. Yeah, these are the classics. The these medium. are beautiful. I've never seen the blue. I've seen the this one before, but I haven't seen the blue. Are they both laughing? Oh yeah, both laughing. But as I said, they're my ultimate go-to pens. If I if I'm going to a meeting mm-hmm. in the office, as long as I make sure that they're charged up, get two cartridges in there, uh, I would always take those with me because I know they're going to work. They're not going to dry on me, there's going to be plenty of ink, and they work perfectly. Is there any particular pen that you find um, particularly unreliable, but yet you still love? I could tell you a number that are unreliable. I wouldn't say that I, still there are any that are So that's unreliable that titanium skeleton Visconti that you had? But it works perfectly now. It went back for repair, <laughs> and it now works beautifully. And I love writing with it. I'm a bit scared of it. Um, Wait, is that the watermark? Uh, no, so there's the original 
um, titanium overlay. It's called the Skeleton from okay. Visconti. It's a very light pen and it has the power filler. The mm -hmm. first time I met Ian was when he was sending it in for, for repair. <laughs> That's right. Well, yes. the, whoever it was, I can't remember. I think it went back to Visconti. And then they said they couldn't fix it. Didn't they? Didn't, didn't they? And I, then I can't remember. Somebody sent fixed it because it's now, it's now working beautifully. So this, I really like this skeleton pen. I've owned this pen at one point. Um, yeah, oh, I see. Yeah, it looks very similar to the watermark. Well, that was the original one. I think less sharp. I, I prefer it. So they did. Visconti did a couple of the overlays, but this was the only one they did in titanium. Yeah. And then they also did the Ripple right about the same time, which was a much bigger, heavier pen. And, I've, I've and brighter too. The, that yes. one, I, I quite like that because it's has, it's, has it's not too overlay. flash. That one. The, it's not, that you one know what I mean? It's not too flash. Yeah. The watermark is very flash. Yeah, because it's polished sterling silver, whereas this one is the matte titanium. But the, yeah, for a while Visconti was doing all these metal overlays yeah. with the carvings, and my favourites were the skeleton, uh, followed by the ripple. I liked the ripple. Um, it had a blue finish, a blue stony silver finish. So, what so, features do you look for in a pen? Yeah, I look for something I like. I yeah. like to look at it. I like the feel of it in my hand. I like the nib, although I've bought too many pens without being allowed to test the nib. And the other thing is putting a pen nib into a bottle of ink and then writing with mm -hmm. it on the store's super paper, which is designed to make the ink <laughs> flow perfectly. It's not a good taste. You can get them home and the bloody things fill them up with ink and bloody things yeah. don't hardly work at all. Yeah. Um, and we all know that. But that's something to do with it. I normally go for a medium nib as, a, as my standard nib, my default nib. I've got too many fine nibs that... I bought because I couldn't get a medium, but I had to have that pen that day. Yeah, I go, I go for looks, basically. Um, and, and what type of looks do you go for? Uh, I don't go for flash because they're flash, at least I don't think so. I go for them because they write properly. I mean, I, I started off when I was buying pens to start with. I bought them because I was looking to find the ultimate nib. It was the nib that I was interested in. My handwriting is reasonable. I'm not a calligrapher. I have no interest in calligraphy. I've probably got about two italic nibs there. And I just like to write reasonably clearly. Again, you can edit this out if you like. But for 30 odd years, I had a secretary. And there are various ways of presenting information to a secretary or a PA to type up into reports. And one is dictation, obviously. Um, I went for the basic one, I would handwrite the report. Yeah. I, I didn't do that because I owned a lot of pens, I did that because I liked doing it. But that then required me to have a pen that was not too broad, mm -hmm. because couldn't write properly, not too fine, because quite difficult for the secretary to read. So mm -hmm. medium was what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do it with the best possible handwriting, you know, scribble. I mean, we're not talking calligraphy here, just uh, writing a report, train of thought type stuff that she could actually read. I watched lawyers dictating straight into a dictaphone, which yep. their secretaries then, you know, and it's fantastic. Very time saving, etc. But it's not for me. Because, but all of a sudden, now, what they have to do then is go back and read it line by line by line by line and correct any mistake that they made in their verbals or the secretary has made by misreading the word or whatever. I do that as I go along. I carry, close your eyes, I carry, I have literally thousands of those pages. I brought them by the dozens of them, the little white sticky labels. And every time I either write a word that is unreadable or I scribble or I just post that over the top and write right over the top of it. <laughs> and when I, so that when I give the report to someone, basically it's in, it's perfectly done. Mm -hmm. it's, it's already perfect. edited. It's already edited. And then I just have to quickly edit it to check that she hasn't been any errors. And quite as aside from, I mean, you guys are in business. The biggest mistake people can do is exactly what Donald Trump did 
in his interview uh, after the Putin meeting. I mean, I laughed my <laughs> ass off when he said, you know, I, I would you have asked out him. a negative. Yes. <laughs> because people wrote, you know, people can write, I do not think, uh, sorry, I. Uh, I can't think of the terminology, but they miss out the word not, and it completely changes <laughs> the, the meaning. Yeah. And it's from a legal point of view. When I used to do a lot, I'm not a lawyer, but I used to do a lot of contractual mm -hmm. law effectively in business. And there's a very good article in the Sydney Morning Herald recently about that, the fact that a comma or lack of a comma can cost millions of dollars. In Eats, shoots, and leaves. Mm -hmm. Eats, shoots, and leaves, exactly. Yes. And that American expression, which drives me up the wall, which is, I could care less. Yes, that's no, not. Which is not such not a right. stupid comment because it's diametrically <laughs> opposed thing. to the, what they actually mean to say. I'm, I'm a bit of a pedant, I will admit. <laughs> I'm reading a book at the moment on Kindle, and the guy who wrote it, it cost me 99 cents US, and the guy wrote it in the foreword. He said, You're getting the very, very early version. He said, um, you know, the words are right, he said, but it's got to do go through a lot of editing and, and it's quite astonishing the number of mistakes he makes. This guy actually makes a living as an author and he can't spell for puffy. I mean, it, his grammar's terrible, so, but I'm a pedant in that respect. So you can edit 99% of that out if you like, but the point it is I started, I, to answer your question, and that'll do a lot. To answer your question, I started, to me, comfort in writing so that I could write, as I've just described, reports, etc. Um, was what I started doing. I've never used a fountain pen, for example, for drawing up tables and writing numbers. I use a five dollar, I'm talking about five Hong Kong dollar, which would be one dollar Australian uh, rollerball from Japan. I've got one in there, it's actually dated. I bought it in 2005. It's a red sort of uh, Pentel V pen or something, I think. A rollerball, a red rollerball. And I dated it for some odd reason in 2014. <laughs> Has it been and refilled I, since? Well, it doesn't have a refill. I would, you're not. Like, like these ones? No, no, no. That's a That's, I only found that yesterday. I don't know where it came from. I've got this stack of rollerballs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, but these are just rubbish right, right that's that's a v7 high it still tech works. 27th of april 2014 <laughs> and there's some here there's, there's one there that's that's probably about 10 years oh, old that's true i have a lot of pens still from school days forever yeah. <laughs> but you buy from the same well pentel don't the have pilot logo. Old pilots. Old pilot logo yeah but if you buy a pilot rollerball i've got a pilot namiki rollerball which is one which is supposedly very high, well, it costs a lot of money, <laughs> but it uses one of those uh, pilot refills. refills. They're just as crap as all the Mont Blanc and Parker, and Parker's one of the better ones. Mont Blanc are crap, I mean they really are, they're, they're talking about, what's the word, planned obsolescence. You pay for the pen, it's like a printer ink. You pay for the pen, you pay a lot of money for the pen, and then the rollerballs have got to be replaced every five minutes anyway because they last virtually no time at all. Yeah. And they're proprietary ones too. And they're proprietary mm -hmm. ones with a little screw, so you can't use a cheaper version. Yep. Stick with fountain pens. But actually, if you're, if you're doing a report that involves a little table oh. of numbers, and that, yeah. it's very quite difficult to do it. With, you need a very fine you need tip. A, you need a fine tip. So the cheapo, El Cheapo rollerballs mm -hmm. are the way to go. Yeah. So there's horses for courses. So I'm going to ask you what your favourite three fountain pens are. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's going to be my next question. And then I will go to collecting habits. Oh no, sorry. Do you take any special measures to clean and store your to store your collection? Well, I think we know where he stores his collection. <laughs> Part of it. But. I mean, nearly all of it is in there, and. and you would have to judge whether I store them properly. You have a look. Pull any one of any one of those drawers apart. <laughs> Do you keep the original boxes? Yeah, I got a, about a quarter of my basement storage. These, oh, about a dozen of these boxes, mm -hmm. fifty kilo boxes mm -hmm. filled with the original boxes. boxes. That's where I put my and boxes. And all the instructions and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the outside it says Mont Blanc box number four. 
What are your three favorite pens from your collection? Okay, well, two of them are relatively new because I love that Riallo thing. That this yellow one. The yellow one. It's the yellow one with the 21 carat zoom nib. This is actually the Pro Gear. It's the Sailor Pro Gear A mode. Oh, is that what it's called? Yes, it's called the A mode. I did a lot of research into this <laughs> when I did buy it and I was considering buying it. Um, it's just beautiful. And I it comes it. with a 20, this one comes with a 21 carat two-toned zoom nib actually, which is quite rare. Well, I didn't know any of that, but it, I mean, I knew it was a zoom nib. And so the reason why this is quite unique is that most pro gears have a black group section. Uh, Whereas this one has a coloured group section, and that was the reason why I wanted it. Oh, I never even noticed. Oh, I did a lot of research on so, this. So, may I ask why you hesitated about actually buying it? I cringed at the ticket price. What was the ticket price, do you remember? Uh, somewhere in the five hundred. Yeah, well, I paid five hundred. It was five hundred something. Yeah, it was. I, I, I think it was five fifty. It's not a Rialo, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a Pro Gear. Oh yeah, Pro Gear. The Rialo is different. Rialo is a system. Oh yeah, well, I, mean, I hate to sound ignorant, but I don't know. Yeah. I've got lots and lots of sailors, mm. and lots and lots of different nibs, and quite rare ones. There's two there, up there yeah, which are very the quite sushi rare. The Sushitake and the um, Nagahara. Well, that was his farewell retirement pen, which is a copy of a Sushitake, mm. but made in resins because the sushitake is 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 real bamboo mm -hmm. and is prone to cracking. So this was because they because of his legacy etc they, they made it in fake bamboo <laughs> so that it would last a lot longer. Actually yeah. mine has a hairline crack already. Yeah, the sushitake or the the sushitake. Uh, the other one is perfect. They're very basic. The Nagahara legacy pen only ever came in the one nib so you know, oh. I should try changing it. So was it a King Eagle? No. no. It was, I think it was... Well, it's there. Pick it up and have a look. But I think it's just a standard medium or something. No, I think it's a... No. Um, <laughs> Naginata medium. I think it's actually... Yeah, Naginata. I love the little stands that you have them on. Well, I bought those, strange enough, by... Some of you guys and some of the people listening might have heard of Point Blue, which is the yeah. most famous pen shop oh. in Paris. And it's owned by, or it's run by, the son of the founder. And the founder is still around, but the founder retired from selling the pen, running the shop, and he became a sculptor. Okay. And so I bought those to oh, wow. in, in Point Plume by the founder. <laughs> but that's just an aside. I mean, I just love those things. Can I show you this? An elderly relative died, and I found this in the bottom of their sort of, you know, everyone has a sort of drawer. Mm -hmm. Junk old, drawer. Junk drawer. <laughs> Pencil? Coronation of King Edward, Edward the, the, the eighth. Who was never crowned. He's the one who um, abdicated yeah, because of his girlfriend, and got his American too. girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's been played with and used. But I just I think that was just fascinating. Wow. 1937. And that's a, that's a commemorative medal about the same thing. <laughs> so it's probably worth nothing or $10 or something on the on eBay because well, it's, it's in anything but perfect order but I just love it it's just that's amazing so they made it for the coronation but it never happened it's, it's it's sold, never them. Happened. Yeah, <laughs> sold them the advance that's like um, getting a um, Hillary Clinton as president yeah, <laughs> <right. coin. laughs> yeah. so the pro gear A mode and then what was the other two? What were the other two favourites? Well, the other two favourites, one of them again, you guys, you two are the ones to blame. Um, what? Is the... What did we do? <laughs> the Decapod. Ah, with the music group. You with have the, the music That's what I favourite too. I have those three yeah. of my only yes. Nakaya. So you didn't get a twist one, you just got a... I thought I was buying a twist, ah. but I failed to order one. I can't blame anyone mm -hmm. other than myself. But that's got the music nib. So that's two out of the three. And I don't know if I can come up with a third one. Because I sold the third one, which would have been the first one before I bought those, which was, it was part of the big set of the Mont Blancs. Of the Mont Blancs and it was the, it was the... Um, patron of the Arts. Patron of the Arts. And it was... 
I really like the Copernicus from that range, actually. It's the one with all the circles. There's one there, right in front there. There. Oh. Isn't that one? So there's another version with the lacquer, right? Yeah, that's the 4810 version. Yes. This is the 8888 version. How heavy is that? It's very heavy. Oh. So the lacquer version's not quite as heavy, and it's a, it's a greenish teal lacquer. The teal. Yeah. It's a beautiful nib. Tar Singh just fixed it for me last week, a couple I of weeks back. As I said, my main interest in pens is nibs. I mean, I'd be quite happy with a cheap pen. If it wrote well. If it, if it writes well, and a lot of them do. Mm. But this one writes beautifully. I love this, the, the way this writes. But the one I was talking about, the one I was, I, I, if you like, my number number three of three would have been the Mont Blanc Patron of the Arts Prince Regent. It looked beautiful without, it was a bit flash, but not too flash. Which one the, is this? The one I had, that's the Tolstoy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Leo Tolstoy. If, I don't think that has any ink in it, but if you want to dip it, you're welcome. But that one right, just writes beautifully, it's very nice. Nib. I mean, Nibs, talking to the converted here, but <laughs> I mean, Nibs writing consists of basically the physical configuration of the nib and the flow. You can have a perfect nib if there's not enough flow or too much flow, mm -hmm. you don't get the result you require. So you've got to get the two, part, two parts of the equation. So ink yeah. matters a lot. Do you usually just use like Ian's, a Montblanc cartridge? Ian's a big fan of Lamy Blue. It's his go-to. If you open that top drawer a bit further, you'll find my two go-to inks. No, it must be the middle drawer. There's a bottle of Lamy Blue and yeah, a bottle of ST Dupont Blue. I have, a, I have a box full of inks up there, mm. but I bet you 90% of those pens there, all of those pens there, are just plain royal blue of one sort or another. And why Lamy Blue, though? Oh, no, I just like it. It's, just it's quite a, it's not a very dark blue. It's quite mm -hmm. a bit and of a I faded don't want one. dark blue. See, that's the whole point. I, I apart from the Tolstoy, which I bought two bottles at the time, and I've gone through one of them mm. uh, to the point where there's... It's a beautiful ink. It's difficult to get it out unless you syringe mm. it out now. and got one that's new. That's a nice blue-black, but I find blue-blacks are too black. I want something, and I'm on the sort of search forever for the perfect blue. That's the other thing is that's my. I don't care about ink. In fact, nine, I don't believe in swashing and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and I know you're going to, you know, sort of attack me for it, but it seems to me a pointless exercise because it may, you know, it depends how thick you put the ink on. It depends yeah. how thick you put it on. It will give you a different. If you have three pens identical. One with a fine nib, one with a medium nib, and one with a broad nib. Using the same ink, you get totally different colours. That's true, but it does help us figure out which is our favourite blue. So we have. Yeah, uh, well, I'm a big fan. She's a big connoisseur of blue inks. Love blue inks. I never use black ink. So royal blue. Royal blue. Royal blue. But um, what I want is a really bright light royal blue. Turquoise to me goes off too mm -hmm. quickly, so I want something that's actually blue. But it shines out off the page, if you know what I mean. And that, if you had a have a go with that yellow one. What's in the yellow? Well, it's fifty percent, fifty percent royal blue of some sort, <laughs> and fifty percent of that light blue, the um, unis no, the unicef light oh, blue. Oh, okay, yeah, I like the unicef. And if you mix those two colours together, you get a very nice colour. It's like a sky blue with a hint of green. Okay. So it's kind I, of like I the like colour that, that I've got in my pen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quite like the... I thought yours was very green today. Try it. Is it's it a blue sailor. Blue? It's a sailor of some sort. It's sailor. very... It's actually... It looks very close to the ink, the mix that you have in the uh, Pro Gip. I'll have to find out what blue this is. I'll let you know. But I, I have... I have a few bottles, but that's thanks to you guys, really, because... <laughs> um, Normally, I just have royal blue, a bottle of black somewhere up the back. Mm -hmm. So, what does your family think about this hobby? Uh, well, my son has no interest in it whatsoever. On his 30th birthday, I bought him a Namiki turtle. turtle. Pen. It was about 5,000 US or something. Because yes. they do two versions. One is a pretty cheap version, and mm -hmm. the other one is a more expensive version. Well, bought more expensive. And I was back in Hong Kong in January, and I said, can, can I have a look at it to see how you're looking after it? <laughs> I don't know where it is. So you almost always buy your pens in brick and mortar stores? Almost always. 
So if you could restart your collection from scratch, is there anything you would change? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'd reduce well, the amount I bought by about 95%. <laughs> but the problem is, see, here's the thing. You maybe heard the expression that, have you heard of Lord Lever? Lord Lever is the guy who, who built uh, Unilever, the huge, oh, yeah. huge chemical yeah, company. Yeah. He came from Liverpool in England. And his company was massive, one of the biggest companies in the world. And somebody said to him, how much do you spend on advertising every year? This is not an exact analogy, but it always entertains me. How much do you spend on advertising every year? He said, oh, I don't know, $50 million. This is years and years ago when, it was a, when that was a lot of money. And he said, oh, okay, and what sort of value do you get out of that? I said, oh, probably 50%. And they said, well, how do you feel about that? I said, I don't know which 50%. <laughs> right? yeah. And it's a bit like that with paint. In theory, if I had found, in theory and looking back, if I had found, quote, the perfect pen within the first half dozen pens that I had bought, then the rest are just a waste of money. <laughs> a waste of money anyway. But the rest were just would be just a waste of money. But the problem is, you always think, and I watch younger people, and I mean, even young, you know, very young people, they're always looking for this, they've been that, they've been the other thing. They're going, they're falling, I don't like the word rabbit hole, but the rabbit hole is the one that comes to mind. <laughs> they're falling down the same rabbit hole that I did. But they're, 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 they're looking, the ultimate quest in my case was to find the perfect pen that wrote perfectly to my satisfaction. And when I look back, I probably found it in a, well, a cross medium nib, going back to the... Okay, not a DuPont. To the 80s. Yeah, but I wouldn't have needed to buy the DuPont if I, <laughs> if I, I realized I cannot improve on this. Yeah. Yeah. And yet that cross, I could pick it up today. I've still got it. Mm -hmm. I could pick it up today and write with it, and it's still, it's a beautiful, beautiful pen to write with. The cross is the same thing. If I'd stopped at the cross, if I'd stopped at this and that, the next one and the next one. But you see, we were talking out on the balcony just now about shopping habits. Hong Kong is just a, yeah. just a giant <laughs> shopping arcade. Shopping arcades tend to be the place like Chatswood Chase yeah. or wherever, where you go and get your coffee and all that sort of thing. There are pen shops either there or thereabouts. And for somebody who isn't interested in what the wife wants to buy, I tend to say bye bye. <laughs> and go to the pen shop. Yeah. And I, you know, I never not come back with yeah. a pen. So there's pens in there, dozens and dozens of pens in there that I don't like. I liked in the shop, and basically my obsession said I have to have a pen. I mean, it's a medical obsession. Um, and so I've got to go home with a pen, so I'll have that one. And some of them are absolutely, they don't fit my hand properly, they don't write properly, they've got the wrong <laughs> etc. There are hundreds of them that I do like and will yeah. write with them all the time. I'm a bit of a, a mishmash. Oh, let's get this on the record. Um, what, what would you, how do you estimate... Um, the size of your collection as it stands right now. Well, since you I, since you gave me a warning, I counted them up in that <laughs> box over in that series of boxes over there. There's over six hundred. That um, doesn't look. It doesn't look. Mean, no, it doesn't. Well, you see the brown, see the brown one. The, the red. The one nearest yeah. to you. Yeah. That was that sold on. I bought that from Fountain Kettles mm. uh, as a sixties piece. Mm. There's over a hundred. Because if you open them, you find that they stacked on top of they're stacked one on yeah. top of the other. And this comes back to how do I treat my <laughs> Well, not like I would treat my granddaughter. <laughs> no, because I notice in your um, on your your father cup that you have a Conway Stewart in that's it's either a celluloid or no, um, it's that milky stuff. Uh, Casey, next to a sterling silver pen. <laughs> I'm getting palpitations just looking at it. <laughs> well, which ones? Are you worried it'll damage well, sterling silver? Well, <laughs> oh, that's only a bit of it. It'll damage that pen, not the sterling silver. Sterling silver's fine. I'm joking, I understand. <laughs> give, it, give, it, give it here. Okay, well, so. It's gone. <laughs> she rubbed it off. I, I rubbed it off. That's my point, dude. But I'm rubble. afraid it'll get scratched. Yeah, well, that's, that's an issue. So, I agree with that. <laughs> so, to round off all of our discussion for today, what advice would you give to a newcomer to the hobby? One of the young ones. One, one of the young one ones. One of the young ones. There's so many. You know, what is their disposable income? Um, young people tend not to have a great deal of disposable income. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have rich parents. I don't know. It's a bit like buying shoes or buying clothes. Buy the very best that you can. Don't buy rubbish that will go out of fashion or will tear at the seams or the sole will fall off in the short term. Mm -hmm. uh, save up for something. Buy something you really like. 
something that you'll be happy to wear out. I mean, in, in a sense, it, it doesn't have to be flash, but it's good to wear a nice carry, I should say, carry a nice pen into a meeting. It can be a bit flash, as I said, you know, as I know to my, not to my cost necessarily, but sometimes you think, oh, you know, <laughs> maybe that didn't go down too well. And I would suggest leaving it at that because there's a huge amount of money involved in that. Some of the pens are worth double that I paid for them. Mm -hmm. Some of them, there's one at least I know is worth three times what I paid for it. And it wasn't cheap when I bought it. But that doesn't make up for the hundreds of them that are probably worth no more than I paid for them or are worth less than what I paid for them. And bear in mind, I've been saving for 20 years. You've got to look at the time value of money. Mm. And, the, you know, the, if you like, the opportunities. Mm -hmm. If I kept the money, it is a... It is a depreciating asset unless you're very lucky. Now, the, okay, let me let me answer that question a bit more. Mont Blancs over the long term, limited edition mm -hmm. ones, they can be good or they can be bad. It's a 50-50 chance, but there is at least a 50-50 chance that you will make a killing on them. Namikis, similar. Sailors, not really, maybe to a, a lesser extent. And if you go for the sort of really top-end ones, maybe. I don't know, I've never sold one or tried to sell one. But most of the others are lost leaders, really. There's very few of them that you can sell for more than you paid for. Well, thank you so much, Ian. Are we done? It, it has been an absolute wild ride. You don't need to. No. Like, I didn't think the word pleasure summed up how crazy this entire experience has been. This is amazing. But thank you very much for your time. Thank yeah, you so well, much. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'm glad you enjoyed your afternoon. <laughs> thank you. That's all for this episode. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the NIP section and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at the NIP section at gmail.com. You can also comment at us at the NIP section Facebook page or at the NIP section on Twitter and Instagram. The NIP section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye and Sharon Zah. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Special thanks to Ian Reed, Alastair Dawes, Mel Sanders, and Max Schumacher. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith, with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks everyone for listening. Mm -hmm.